I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles to Psalm 100, please. Psalm 100. In 1882, a New York City businessman by the name of Mr. Richardson opened or owned a narrow strip of land on Lexington Avenue. It's actually at the corner of Lexington and 82nd Street, just a few blocks to the east of Central Park in Manhattan. It was a five feet wide and about a hundred foot long piece of land. So, you know, five feet wide, hundred feet long. Not very big. Another businessman by the name of Mr. Sarner owned the adjacent lot, the lot that was right next to Richardson's little skinny one. And uh, Mr. Sarner wanted to build apartments that faced Lexington Avenue. So he offered Richardson $1,000 for that tiny little piece of land. Richardson was deeply offended that he had only offered $1,000 and said he wouldn't sell it for anything less than $5,000. Can you imagine that? $5,000, five feet wide, 100 feet long. And Sarner said, forget it, and the, the deal was off. So Sarner assumed that that lot would stay vacant, and he told the architect, go ahead and design and build the apartment complex. And when they finished the building, Richardson saw that the windows overlooked his lot, and he was obsessed that someone was enjoying the view over his lot. And he determined that he was going to build a building on his property so that he could block the view of those people. And so, 70-year-old Mr. Richardson built a house five feet wide and 100 feet long, four stories high, with two suites on each floor. And upon the completion, he and his wife moved in. His wife really didn't want to live there. But after a while, she enjoyed it. Only one person at a, at a time could ascend the stairs or pass through the hallway. The largest dining table in any of the suites was 18 inches wide. <laughs> and a con- and the, the stoves were the smallest that was made. A newspaper reporter once got stuck in the stairwell. And two of the tenants were unsuccessful at pushing him free. The building was dubbed the Spite House. Now, if you want to go online, you can actually see there's an ancient picture. So there's Mr. Sarner's house is right here, and then there's this five-foot-wide lot. And the, next, the wall next to it, it's like two inches at best. And it goes all the way up and blocks all the windows that face Lexington Avenue. So Richardson spent the last 14 years of his life in this narrow residence that seemed to fit his narrow state of mind. His narrow state of mind. You know, we can struggle sometimes with bitterness, spite, and revenge, can't we? But when you know the Lord, you don't have to live that way. Isn't that a blessing? And Psalm 100 depicts it so well. 
Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye the Lord, that he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him, and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. In this classic and wonderful uh, psalm, we see very easily a call to worship, and then a reason to worship, and then another call to worship, and then a reason to worship. And it reminds all of us that we have every good reason to live a life of joy and praise and worship toward the God who has loved us so. There are many great truths in this passage, wonderful theological truths. Today I just want to point out two that hopefully will motivate us in our worship. And the first one is found there in verse 3. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We're his people, and the sheep of his pasture. So, God is our God, and we are his people. So, you can write this truth down very simply as, I belong. I belong. I belong to God. And what a great reason to worship him. The psalmist here is calling for Israel to make an acknowledgement. Know that the Lord is God. To acknowledge that this is true. To confess it out loud. But he's not only asking Israel, because at the beginning he says, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Meaning this isn't a call just for the people of God. It is for all the people whom God has created. And indeed, he has created all of us. So, the psalmist here is saying, China, acknowledge God as your creator. Japan, acknowledge God as your creator. India, Indonesia, Russia, Europe, Africa, North America, South America, all ye lands, know that the Lord is your God. And what a thrilling thing to say that when I come before God in humility and embrace this and acknowledge his sovereignty and acknowledge his grace and see what Jesus has done for me in the cross, I become a child of God. And that is reason enough to worship him. He wants us to confess that he is our God. God chose Abraham. And in choosing Abraham, he determined to bless all the families of the earth. All the families. So in Ephesians we read that at the day of our salvation, God marked us. He sealed us with the Spirit. And now we can know that we are his. And here he says... We're the sheep of his pasture. Here's our shepherd, and he's shepherding us, and we belong to him, and he guides us, and he protects us and wants to take care of us. So, I belong. Now, with that mark of the Spirit in my life then, it reminded me of 
how I used to keep track of stuff in my house. Now, one of the things that we often lose is our socks. How many of you have a sock monster that live in your house and that eat your socks and that all through your, your life as a kid, you turn your socks in to be washed and instead of getting the same two back, you'd get one back and you'd say, where's my other sock? And it was gone, never to be seen again, eaten up by the sock monster which lives in all of our houses. Now, the problem in our house was that I've got, I've got my socks, which were usually, you know, white socks, but I've got these girls that, you know, maybe they can't keep track of their socks, and so they'll just borrow dad's socks. So are there any dads here? Your daughters or your son borrowed your sock. Are there any daughters here? Yeah, I used to borrow my dad's socks, or any socks that I could find for all that matter. And so I'd be walking down the hallway in our house, and I'd say, hey, those are my socks. You know, it'd be Alicia. But Dad, Dad, they're warm. I like these socks. Yeah, but they're my socks. Dad, come on. And so you're supposed to be kind and gentle. Sure, okay, keeping your feet warm. I love my daughter, so she gets to wear my socks. You know? And then my son's got a soccer game. And as he's getting ready, I'm saying, hey, wait, those those are my socks. Yeah, Dad. They're great. You know, they go past his knee. You know, he's in kindergarten. And uh, he's going to play soccer. And so he's running around. There goes my socks, running around. One year I was coaching his peewee soccer team, and one of the players forgot his socks. We had driven all the way to Madison. It was freezing cold. And he goes, Coach, I forgot my socks. And so I... What was I going to do? I took my shoes off and I pulled my socks off and I gave it to Chuck. And Chuck played the whole game in my socks and I froze on the sideline. It was terrible. So one of the ways that I decided that I was going to deal with this is I'm going to mark my socks so that everybody knows which socks belong to me. And so I got out the, you know, the black Sharpie here and I wrote, Dad. And no, no girl in my house is going to walk around with a sock that says dad on the toe right there, right? Because it'll be too obvious. Guess what? That did not stop them. I'd be walking down the hallway and here comes a pair of dad socks walking right past me. How in the world is this happening? I don't know. I tried to mark my socks and keep them as my own. It, 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 Works pretty good today. Mrs. Morris pretty much keeps track of her own socks. Although every now and then I find some of my socks on her. Don't look today at her socks. I'm sure they're hers. (laughs) Just as I marked my socks, in in a goofy way to illustrate it, God has marked you as his. You belong to him. You belong to him. We are his people. We are the sheep of his pasture. And so often in Scripture, we find the shepherd who leaves the 99 and goes after the one. Or we find the shepherd in Psalm 23 who lovingly cares for the sheep. We find some really awful shepherds who don't tell us the truth 
but we know that God as our shepherd tells us the truth and he leads us in paths of righteousness. And we have that because we belong to him. We belong to God. You belong to God. I belong to God. I am his and he is mine. He is my maker. He is my remaker. And he makes all things new. Today, maybe you feel like you're alone. Because amazingly, we can be surrounded by people and still feel all alone. Maybe today you don't fit in. At least you feel that way. I don't feel like I fit in. But can I remind you that God, when he became your Savior on the day that you trusted Christ, gave you a new identity. He marked you as his. And he validated you. He affirmed you. He accepted you. And he wants to gloriously change you into the image of Jesus Christ. What a thrill. What a thrill. Now, i got to ask this question, okay? Do you belong? You say, Pastor Morris, we're all students at a Christian college. Of course we are. Yeah, but every now and then we find a student, their freshman, sophomore, junior, senior year, and they've never really come to grips with accepting Christ as Savior. And I want to encourage you. When you do that, you belong. You belong to him. There's a second truth here, a second reason why we can praise God, why we can serve the Lord with gladness. And that is this. It says in verse 5, for the Lord is good. God is good. Now, as soon as we say that in our current culture, antenna go up. Hair on the back of certain people's necks begins to bristle. And people say, wait a minute. How can you say that God is good? When we talk about the goodness of God, we are talking about something that is intrinsic, first and foremost. That this is something that is the very character, the nature of God. So, you're in Bible doctrine class, and you're studying theology proper, and you come to the attributes of God, and one of those attributes can be defined as God's goodness. God is good. It's an intrinsic attribute. It's intrinsic in that it's a part of his nature. You see, too often people want to define the goodness of God as whether or not God has done good things for them. Now, to be real honest, God has done innumerable good things for everyone. In fact, he makes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust, the saved and the unsaved. So he has done an innumerable amount of good things. But really, the goodness of God is about his intrinsic nature. In fact, we could say that God, in the original design in Genesis, intended for them to live a non-evil experience, right? And it was Adam and Eve who chose differently. And in a wonderful way, God takes our dissonance there and makes it into harmony 
in the cross of Christ. Now, we have to remember things like this. It was Joseph who said at the end of it all, what you intended for evil, God made into something good, right? And we saw that illustrated just a couple weeks ago when we had a speaker here from Ukraine, correct? And he showed us example after example of someone who came to Christ or people who were witnessing on behalf of Christ or people who were worshiping Christ and how God had met a need. And he said that would have never happened had we not been going through the situation now of Russia's invasion. And he said it somewhat with, with tears in his eyes and a little crack in his voice. I wasn't actually here, but I watched it because my watch said, you got to watch this. And I sat down and watched it. It was thrilling. So remember those things. What was intended for evil, God used for good. Even sometimes when we do things where we deserve the chastening hand of God, remember even chastening in a way is good. Because God only chastens those who are his sons and his daughters. He chastens those whom he loves. And that's a way of him showing you. Now, the problem is, is if you want to define goodness as what God is doing for you or some sort of gifts or something, and therefore if you don't have that or if you had it and then you lost it, now therefore God's not good, something's going to get in the way. Our own nature is what's going to get in the way there. Let me put it to you this way. Remember, Satan said to God... The only reason why Job is worshiping you is because you've given him all this good stuff. Take away all of Job's stuff, and he won't worship you. And so God allowed Satan, without Job knowing, to take away all the stuff, even his health. So now the question is, is is Job going to be true to that description that God had given him, that he's righteous and eschews evil, etc.? And is he going to really worship because he loves and worships God for who God is and not for the stuff that God gives? You see, this whole question about the goodness of God and what response we should have to that has been around for a long, long time. We've been talking about the problem of evil for a long, long time. And the real issue isn't so much God as it is us and our response to it. Am I going to say in my heart that God is good? Because here's the thing. Had Job just given in and say, okay, okay, I agree, then he would have essentially agreed with Satan. That God isn't worthy of worship unless he gives me good stuff. And that would have been terrible. But every time that I don't have something that I define as good, and that causes me to turn away from God and not worship him, then I'm also agreeing with Satan. Because I'm essentially saying, God isn't worthy of my worship unless he gives me good stuff. 
Now, what about you? And I recognize this is terribly serious here because sometimes these evil things are incredibly difficult for us to go through. Last year at this time, I was supposed to preach in chapel, but I didn't get to because I ended up in Texas at a funeral for my little sister. And it was tough. And maybe you've gone through something similar. See, God is calling us to say, no matter what the things are that happen in my life, I am going to confess that God is good and worship him, because that's who God is. I'm not going to define the goodness of God based upon what he gives me. You say, well, Pastor Morris, come on. God, God owes us good stuff. Oh, wait a minute. God doesn't owe us anything. We owe him everything. You see that faulty perception that sometimes happens in people's minds? And see, I'm thinking that a lot of you know someone who has turned their back on God. Maybe they used to be with you in youth group a few years back. And part of the reason why they've turned their backs on God is something bad happened in their life. And it truly is tragic, and it's awful. And it shook their faith to the point that they walked away. And that burdens us deeply, doesn't it? What about you, young person? What's your response to God right now? And what's your response going to be? You see, because... If you define God as giving me good stuff and that makes up the goodness of God, you know what you're going to do? Eventually you're treating God like your butler, like your servant. You yank on that chain a little bit and then he gives you good stuff. And then you yank on the chain and then he gives you good stuff. And then you yank on the chain and he gives you good stuff. And don't forget our hearts are full of covetousness and greed. And so enough will never be enough. Or are you going to be the type of person who says, God is good. Regardless of what happens in my life, God is good. You know, think about it right now. Everyone that's here, your eyes are seen at least for those of you that has your eyes open, your eyes are seeing, your ears are hearing, your lungs are breathing, your heart is beating. Every day, God does give you good things. It's just, we want to define the goodness based upon our standard instead of on God's standard. Young person, are you going to be able to confess that God is good. Because the psalmist says, you can make a joyful noise if you understand that you belong. And you can make a joyful noise and worship him and serve him with gladness if you confess that he is intrinsically good and he gives us a lot of good things.
You think about that. God is so gracious and God is so merciful. He's, he's constantly not giving us what we really deserve. And instead, he's giving us all kinds of things that we don't deserve. And that is the gracious goodness of God. God is good. And so because of that, make a joyful noise and serve him with gladness. You know, it's so easy in the situation that you're in to obsess about the things in the long run that really don't matter. I remember being over in Spurgeon. Well, I was in Spurgeon, Judson, and Cary. Uh, and you'd be in the dorm, and some guy, he'd be all bent out of shape about a certain rule. And I'd think, buddy, life is about a lot more than that. He'd all been in shape about, I don't know, a call that the ref made. And he just like would go on and on for two weeks about it. It's like, pal, come on. <laughs> Give it a break. Live your life. Enjoy life. And so often people are that way. They get sidetracked, sidetracked by those little things. And God is calling us to a wonderful life of worship and joy. I'm not talking about a plastic Joy where we put on a smile, ha, 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 I'm joyful in the Lord. No, a joy that is based upon the fact that I know I belong to God and God is good so much better than I deserve. So much better than I deserve. Listen, bitterness and anger and living in the spite house is not the answer. Instead, make a joyful noise. All ye lands, and serve him with gladness. Come before him with singing and thanksgiving, and let him know that you are acknowledging his overwhelming value and his worthiness. He is the great God, the infinite God, and you love him for who he is and what he has done. He has given us everlasting mercy. He has given us everlasting truth. He's faithful to his promise. And he continues to bring that about. And so our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. You see, blow the trumpet of joy. Sound the trombone of triumph. Ring out the horn of hallelujahs. Let the orchestra of praise call us to a symphony of humble adoration to our God. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise unto him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord and bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among the people. Sing to the Lord a new song. He's done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm has wrought salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He's remembered his steadfast love, his faithfulness. It shall come to pass in the latter days 
that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the tops of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all the peoples from all the nations shall flow to it. Many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways. We'll walk in his paths. Out of Zion his law will go forth. The word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples and rebuke the nations afar off. And we'll all beat our swords into plowshares, our spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation. There will be no more conflicts like what we see happening over in Ukraine. And neither shall they learn war anymore. But everyone will get to sit under his vine and under his fig tree. And no one will make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of the hosts has spoken it. And will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Make a joyful noise. Serve God with gladness. All of us. Why? We belong to him. And he's good. That day is coming when we will all experience his wonderful goodness in our lives. Young person, don't let yourself live in the spite house. Don't allow bitterness, tiredness, frustration, anger, and even sorrow to steal the wonderful joy away of serving God with gladness of heart. Will you bow in prayer with me? Father, thank you so much. You are a great God, and we acknowledge that here and now. We have every good reason to have our hearts filled with joy. That doesn't mean that everything that we go through is necessarily joyful. There are some difficult things to go through in life. And you call us to that. But God, even in the midst of those things, fill our hearts with gladness because we know we belong and we know that you're good and you've proven it over and over again. And we praise you for this in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.